countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey, hey, it is now time for more of the last comic shop! That's right, we are opening up the shop to newbies to help them find their way under this big comic book tent of ours. And we're leaving the lights on for the oldies that might want to learn about comic books that inspired some of their favorite science fiction franchises. Ah, interesting. I'm the host of the most, Andy Larson. I'm joined by Chad Smith and J.A. Scott, as always. And you're absolutely right, Chad, that on today's program, we're going to be recovering another European book. It's, it's weird. It seems like... What we're doing this year is either DC books or European books. We had like the Tin Tins. We had 50,000 kilometers, kilometers per second. And I guess 1984 isn't European. It's it's British. Mm. Parable. Did we do Parable this year or was that last year? That was last year. Oh, that was a good year. Black Sad last year. I mean, I mean yeah. we've done European books, but we've been hitting it hard. And again, this week we're doing one that's more sci-fi in nature. It's J.A.'s pick for this week, and it's called Valerian. Valerian and Loreline. No, no, no. It's Valerian, the Complete Collection, Volume 1. Ah, there we go. That's what we're talking about this week. But uh, before we get to that comic book review, as always on The Last Comic Shop, we like to give you opening salvo out to all of our fans. And then one other thing that we've been talking about a lot, at least in the month of April, is the fact that the MCU movie season is right around the corner. Lots of great movies coming out from that house of ideas at Marvel and Disney, all to get us in there munching popcorn and drinking sugary sweet drinks. Mm -hmm. Of course, again, we've got the Doctor Strange movie that's coming out next week. We've got Thor coming out later this year. What about Morbius? When are we reviewing Morbius? We're not talking about Morbius! It's so bad! (laughs) No, we're not not doing this. I'm not taking up our precious time on this show talking about that Morbius movie. Uh, that's for some other podcast. But uh, what we want to do on today's program is talk about Marvel trivia. Because you might be sitting in those movie theaters waiting for those MCU movies to start. You might look over at one of your friends and say, hey, I was listening to the last comic shop and they gave me some cool Marvel trivia that uh, I wonder if you can answer. So we're going to we're gonna school you on that for the opening segment. So I've got 20 questions. For J.A. Scott and for Chad's piece, this Wait, is uh, a contest. Are, are there bonus questions? There are not bonuses. Are we nope. allowed to ask questions about the questions? <laughs> is there is there a no whammies round? Is there an appearance of DC's The Question? <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. We got to get to these these questions for this opening segment. So, so again, this isn't a contest. This isn't for bragging rights. I mean, I guess. I mean, do you guys want to put money down? You can. can. I've, I've got to... some 1990s Marvel stock. I'm willing to bet. <laughs> there we go. Hey, we should get the Vegas books on this because Jay and I will know the results. As this is a pre-recorded show. Let's get those bets going, kids. FanDuel and whatnot. There is no time limit uh, on this segment, but we do have other things to do, so try not to take forever. Yeah, well, yeah so, I was going to say, what's the over-under on this segment not finishing? <laughs> All right. Question number one, J.A. True or false? The supreme intelligence is the leader of the Skrull race. That's false. That is correct. What, the, what is he the leader of, J.A.? The Kree. Ah, there you go. One one for J.A. Question number two. After his death, who revives the Punisher and turns him into a Frankenstein-like monster? Is it A, the Jackal, B, Morbius, C, Modoc? I'm going to go with uh, Morbius, but it's probably Modoc. <laughs> no, you were absolutely right. It was uh, yeah. Morbius. And the rest of the Legion of Monsters. I knew that one. Of course you did, Frankencastle. That's right. Hey, we're going to cover it this October. This this Halloween season, Franken's Castle is on the docket. So that's nice. two for J.A. Question number three. Dr. Octopus was briefly married to Peter Parker's Aunt May. True or false? i, I got to go with true. Oh, that's incorrect. They were involved, but they never did actually get married. With this ring, Ivy Webb. Question number four. The warrior Scar is the son of which Marvel superhero? A, Thor, B, Hulk, C, Hercules. Hercules. 
Ah, it was B, the Hulk. Scar. From the planet Hulk. It's true or false, Mr. Immortal led a team known as the Great Lakes Avengers. Dude, I don't know who Mr. Immortal is. I'm just going to go true. That is correct. I don't what? understand why the Avengers, who are based out of New York, need another Avengers team that's based in the Great Lakes. Is that like the Chicago Avengers? Are they like the Second City Avengers? It was unofficial. If they were so great, why couldn't they save the Edmund Fitzgerald? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's All right. What Avenger foe created the Vision to fight the team before a Vision eventually joined them? Was it uh, A, Kang? B, Ultron, C, Taskmaster. I'm going Ultron, because ah, that's the movie. That is hoping correct. hoping that they didn't uh, alter it. Uh, true or false, uh, Spider-Man's foe Sandman briefly became a re- reserve Avenger. Uh, false. Mm. That is true. Uh, oh, that was the nice. There was that big Eric Larson issue in Spider-Man where he shows up. Yeah. And the Avengers just kind of leave him behind. <laughs> 348, I believe. Yeah. By what intergalactic superhero's name is Richard Ryder known? So Dick Ryder is also known as A, Starmaster, B, Corsair, or C, Nova. Uh, is it Nova? Yes! Yeah. It is Nova. It Corsair is, Nova. Is, is a summer, right? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's Scott Summer's dad. Final he's two the questions. Which member of the Guardian Galaxies helps Thanos defeat the Beyonder? Uh, just I guess pick one. Go, is it like the modern Guardians of the Galaxy, yes. or is it the is the, no, the it's classic modern. Guardians? Oh, it's we'll the, go Gamora then. Uh, Star Lord, close. Yeah, okay. Oh. Final question: A battle between Spider-Man and Doctor Octopus leads to the tragic death of Gwen Stacy. That's false. Yes. Who was it? Green Goblin. There you go. That's not oh, bad. That's the wrong answer. The correct answer is Captain Stacy. That's true, too. His death did happen when a, uh, a brick wall fell on him yeah. uh, during a fight between him and... I and he- blame Sony because Andrew Garfield was so awesome in that Spider-Man No Way Home. Oh, there you go. Uh, so I think you got seven, maybe six. I don't know. God, he did really well. Yeah, he did. I was very proud of him. We'll have to check the tape. That's Riddle uh, me this. <laughs> here's, Chad's, here's Chad's 10 questions. Let's see if he can get 10 out of 10. I just need to do better than seven. <laughs> Question number one, which villain participating in the Secret Wars manages to steal the Beyonder's power for a brief period of time? Oh, that's Doctor Doom. Oh, there's, there's number one. Great cover. What fellow hero is able to repair Thor's Damage hammer Monier by transferring the Odin force from Thor to the hammer. Is it Iron Man, uh, Star Lord, or Doctor Strange? I'm gonna say Doctor Strange. Oh, and you would be accurate. Well, when did that happen? I guess sometime. <laughs> Question number three: What California city did Daredevil move to for a time? Hmm, California cities. The Bay Area, San Francisco, San Francisco. Oh, you're correct. That's three out of three thus far. Uh, Molecule Man was set to destroy the world until what Avenger talked him out of it? A, Ms. Marvel, B, Tigra, C, the Wasp. Not Miles Morales and a cheeseburger? I, unfortunately not. I'm going to say the Wasp. Oh. Oh, it's Ms. Marvel, isn't it? It was Tigra. What? Well, she has that bikini and everything. She can talk it's to like anybody. like the first time she actually did something of any value. <laughs> oh, that's um, okay, next. True or false, before becoming Jigsaw, Punisher foe Billy Russo's nickname was The Model. That's so dumb, it has to be true. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was false. Was it the face, wasn't it? It was The Butte. The Butte. That's a whole- uh, that's a horrible name. That's unfair. I don't read Punisher if it's not Frankencastle. Did you have that issue where he was on the jet ski with the machine gun? That was my favorite. <laughs> Jim Lee drew that one. Who helped Spider-Man when he battled the Sinister 12? Was it Scarlet Spider, Daredevil, or the Black Cat? Oh, I'm going to say Black Cat. Oh, and you would be right. I didn't know that one either. I, that would have been a shot in the dark for me. Well, you know more Spider-Man than all right. Uh, what are the names of the ray beams that Iron Man fires from his armored gloves? 
his repulsor rays. There you go. Baron Von Strucker was the leader in the early days of what sinister organization? So the green, mm-hmm. uh, I'll just say Hydra. That's correct. That's, that's too easy. Even uh, I knew that one. <laughs> Final two questions, Chad. Uh, what branch of the military did a war machine James Rhodey Rhodes serve in? The Iron Man one? <laughs> I'm going to say Air Force. Actually, it was the U.S. Marine Corps. He oh. was a Marine. Last question. Who assembled a team of heroes to battle the Chaos King and his forces during the Chaos War? Was that Star Fox, Hercules, or Black Knight? Hercules! Hercules! Hercules. Ah, I was wondering whether I had to give you the multiple choice on that, whether you could have got that on your own. But that was actually a pretty good story. Anyways, I think you only missed... I think yeah, he missed I, three. I missed two or three. Uh-oh, is it a I tie? I think he missed three. I think it's a tie. Uh, you definitely missed Tigra. You missed Jigsaw. And he missed James Rhodey Rhodes. Uh, Oh, so it was seven. Though in the the MCU, he's Air Force. That might have been why it threw you off. Get tricked. Uh, Get tricked. Bamboozled. Well, we hope that you're not bamboozled by uh, our review of Valerian. And that's coming up right after these messages. Stay tuned for more of The Last Comic Shop. We'll actually have comic book talk. You want... You want to know the connection? Valerian's only good for one piece of trivia. We'll stick around for that and more after these messages. <laughs> Do your hobbies include comic books, movies, television, and or video games? Are you always behind with the latest news in the world of nerd? Well, look no further than the Oblivion Bar, a nerd culture podcast. Oh, great Scott! Hosted by Chris Hacker and Aaron Knowles. The Oblivion Bar offers a weekly review of all the latest breaking news, in-depth discussions far beyond whether Han shot first, and newsletter section, where you, the listener, send in your questions to be answered live on the show. New episodes every Monday, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. I'm just so so freaking excited! You can also find us on Twitter, at Oblivion Bar Pod. Come join us at the Oblivion Bar Podcast. Hope to see you there looking for a podcast all about nerddom want a podcast with an emphasis on representation the nerd alternative is the podcast for you join me ram me hassan and me levi three black british nerds tackling the pop culture we love and sharing why we love them the nerd alternative a sweet melting pot of all things nerdy all right folks we are back and it's time for our read pile review of some uh work that was originally published as Valerian and Loreline, but we read it as Valerian, the Complete Collection, Volume 1. J.A., what creators were involved with this Valerian experience? So Valerian, long-time co-creators, written by Pierre Christian, with art by Jean-Claude Mezieres, and I'm sure I butchered his name, so I apologize uh, for that. (laughs) Colors by Evelyn Tranley. Yes. Ooh la la. We do not parlez-vous the Francais. Yes, we apologize. There is a lot of um, accented ease in these names. But uh, what what we do get to say is one of our favorite words that we learned during our Tintin review a couple weeks ago, J.A. Like Tintin, what is this considered in France? Oh, a bande désirée. Oh, and what does that stand for again? A comic strip. There you go. So that's what the BD stood for. I kept reading the back matter, and I was like, BD, is that boudoir? Is that... <laughs> what? what are they talking about? That's right, because Chad was was absent for our episode of Panel Pals, so he didn't learn that little tidbit. But all our fans know, they know that every time we talk about a bande disarray, that it is a comic strip that's eventually collected in some sort of graphic novel. And again, here comes your 10 cent synopsis for Valerian. Uh, this particular collection actually is three different books. They they all deal with this guy named Valerian, who's a time-space cop, like John claude Van Damme. <laughs> he, he's in some future where they've invented time and space travel, and everybody likes to just hang out, except for these couple people that do work. The scientific intelligen- intelligentsia sends him back uh, throughout time to stop people that are trying to muck up the time stream. 
And so there's this guy, I forget what his name is, but he's in the first two stories and he's trying to muck things up. Zombol! Zombol! Thanks, Chad! <laughs> and so the first story is called Bad Dreams and he basically goes back to like 11th century France, which doesn't seem like 11th century France at all because it's filled with giant trees and ogre monsters. And they try to pass it off that it was something that the Zombol guy was doing. And the second story, they send him back to the 1980s. And that is City with uh, Shifting Waters and Earth and Flames. That's a long name. Anyways, uh, but they goes, he goes back to 1986, and it's supposed to be like a post-apocalyptic New York. It's like some sort of dead time that they don't know anything about. And again, Zomble's trying to, I guess, rule that timeline as well. Um, because it's, you know, an Earth in peril, and it's easy for his scientific genius to set up. Some- Anyways, Jerry Lewis is in that, or somebody that looks like Jerry Lewis. And... Some other guy. Sun Ra. Whatever. Then you get finally to the third story, which is the one I actually liked, and that's Empire of a Thousand Planets. Instead of mucking around in the time stream, they actually just go to a different planet. Uh, And Valerian and Lorelei, who he meets in 11th century France. I didn't talk about that. But anyways, they don't want to muck up the timeline, so he brings this girl forward and into the yes, future because she became a unicorn and then as a unicorn she could read his mind see that's how ridiculous i, I just need to get anyways Ten Thousand planets he goes to some planet and he finds like a bunch of people that were there that came on some sort of colony ship from earth millennia ago and took over the whole planet and pretending to be darth Vader. i like that story but that's your 10 cent synopsis and it's worth <laughs> noting valerian itself ran for 43 years it was traditionally collected uh, from material in, uh, is it Pilot or Pelote, or you can pick your Francais pronunciation. But looking at the one cover, it says Le Journal de Asterix at Dublay. Is that the Asterix that I know from comic strips and Sunday Funnies? Yes. yes. Yeah. Was that Asterix in the first story? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? There was a character that looked very similar. I think some of the ogre guys that... I don't have a lot of information on Asterix. I know it exists. I've never actually read any of it, but I, I know who you're talking about. There's a big burly guy with a big tummy that hangs out with Asterix because Asterix's the little guy. But yeah, some of the characters do look very similar to that. And, and, and I, I'm glad you brought that up, Chad, because one of the things that I had difficulty with with this book was the fact that like some of the art was crazy great. Then the rest of it was just kind of, I don't know, like a Jules Pfeiffer comic strip, like where it was very cartoonish. And I get it because it was a strip, like it's a comic strip, right? But it was a very weird dichotomy between like these, even more than Tintin. Because when we covered Tintin, Tintin had had comic stylings, but everything was very crisp and clean. This, like some of the faces sometimes look very cartoonish, other times they didn't. What did you guys think of the art? It's almost like you got one set of art for the weekdays and then like the Sunday strip where it was bigger and spent more time on. You got the better art, the bigger panels, because there were times where I was reading the story and just kind of allowing the art to tell me the story. But then there are other times, especially panels and pages where you would have overwhelming dialogue, like almost every panel was dialogue and i felt that the art on a lot of those panels was as you said but you know very cartoony very rough but then you'd have some other pages where there's almost no dialogue it was very sparse and the imagery was just overwhelming and beautiful and the world building was there so i think that it was almost like okay during the week we're going to set up these big beautiful panels on the weekend or something (laughs) Yeah, maybe. I don't know. The way I assume this works, since it was appearing as a, in an anthology magazine, you would get eight pages or 12 pages of a story one week and then another 12 the next week. But you can definitely see the art style, even though it's the same creators throughout, it changes distinctly throughout the three series. Like the first one, I thought was very much so reminiscent of Mad Magazine. You know, that, that style of cartoony art with the big heads. You know, a little bit looser, a little bit more silly. And then by the time you get to the third book, the heads are still bigger and there's certainly a style to it, but it gets a little bit more, I don't want to say realistic, but it's a little bit more straight action adventure as opposed to, you know, cartoony satire style art. 
No, I, I can agree with that. I, I, I think that's why I like the third book the most. Uh, not only because, again, I, I didn't get any of this whole mucking around in the time stream stuff. Like, the second story seemed to do a little bit better job with that because they were going back to, like, some nuclear weapon went off in the early 80s and, like, everything was destroyed. And so it was just kind of showing, like, yeah, look what a crap hole America is. <laughs> that was all that kind of issue was. When they go to New York, boy, did that remind me of 1980s New York, though. Even though yeah. this takes place in the 70s. Like, everything I knew about 80s with the roving gangs, with the headbands. It really reminded me of Escape from New York. The, yes. The I was Kurt Russell Snake, movie. Snake Plissken to show yeah. up. But by the time they get to the third issue, again, they it's just a straight sci-fi adventure story. Like, they're just flying to a different planet. This planet has had little to no interaction with the earth empire or whatever. So that's like a concept I can get behind. And then they get there and it's ruled by like some sort of scientific cult. That's also semi-religious to the inhabitants and they all wear weird masks and they put Valerian and carbonite pretty much. So I get all of that. And at the same time, to your point, Chad, it's a little more nuanced. It's a little more, what I would expect from kind of more of like a, a Flash Gordon or uh, Buck Rogers kind of comic strip where it was, you know, a, a, just a little bit more adult and less cheeky. To, right. I mean, like some of the some of the earlier stuff, to your point, not only Mad Magazine, but also um, it actually reminded me a lot of the Smurfs, like the first book, okay. like the original Payo strips. What, Johan and Pee-wee? You know, because they're running around the French countryside, and that's all I could think of was, like, Johan and Pee-wee. And I'm just like, okay, well, I'm not into this. But by the third, I was like, no, this is this is good stuff. This is what I expected from the start. So I have to reveal this is not my first go-around with Valerian, as I discovered the series back in 2017 <laughs> when they released their big-budget movie from uh, the director of The Fifth Element. Luc Besson. And it's been five years since that's come out, and I still haven't seen the movie. But I had a friend who was very excited about this movie, so he had actually bought some of the trades and let me borrow and read those. They were some of the later works. As we said, this goes on for 43 years. But they were some of the things that were a little bit more after that more sci-fi revolution there. Right now, I'm flipping through my free comic book day copy of Valerian that has the ambassador in the shadows. And so this is a book that evolves over its time frame for sure. But uh, unfortunately for me, and even like in 2017, when we found out about this, the big reason to read Valerian was because this was published in the 1970s in France. 1977, as you know, is the introduction of Star Wars here in the States. And it turns out a lot of the things from Valerian show up in Star Wars. How about that? But uh, so many things like from the spaceships to some of the outfits Loreline wears ends up being translated into Leia. Uh, And one of the stories read the Empire of a Thousand Planets. They capture the hero or they encase him in carbonite only. It was more see-through. But there's all sorts of things that uh, Valerian was doing in the sci-fi scope, including some of the alien animals and creatures that they look like that you can draw a straight line to things that showed up in Star Wars later on. So, like, if you have buddies that are big Star Wars fans, you can be like, look, here's where Lucas Company or Lucasfilm stole that idea. idea. Yeah, George Lucas never found a a sci-fi book he didn't like to crib from, be it Dune, be it Valerian. That's right. And sometimes that's what the, the masters do, is they take little bits of flavor from all these places and put them together in a fine gumbo, let them intermingle. And that's where you get the classics. But uh, that's honestly, as we were reading this, my eyes kind of glazed over in the second book. It's like, I was just looking at the words. Like, that's a lot of words. And I would try to read them. And I was doing that (laughs) thing where you read the words and then you go to the next page. And like, what do those other words say? I don't know. But uh, no, the biggest value in Valerian for me was all those ideas and the basic trivia knowledge. Like, Hey, this is where star Wars stole a lot of their things. I've seen it twice. I saw it in the movie theater, and then I think it was on Netflix or something, and I watched it again. Yeah, that was the thing when I was reading like those first two books, especially the one in the French countryside. I think that's why I wasn't really very excited about the series from the start, because I went into it 
with the same thought process you did, Chatham. I'm a big Star Wars fan. I'm just going to be looking out for all of the similarities between this property that I really, really love in Star Wars and where the roots came from in Valerian. And that first book, there is no Wookiees anywhere here. There's yeah. no droids. There's no nothing. This is There's no Star Wars unicorn lady, but there should have been. That's a great <laughs> idea. Why did they steal that? I, I just overall, I just thought it was just so uneven. And maybe it's because it was originally a strip. Like with Tintin, there was a lot of running around sometimes and you had to fill up from one week to the next and keep audiences coming back. So it's not like a comic book that was released in America where you have like 22 pages to get a story done before you'd have to take a break. I don't know, Jay, what do you think? See, I came into it without any preconceived expectations or notions. And so I really enjoyed it. All three of the stories. I thought they were a bit different. They were very out there, but instead of like wanting to see where it related to star Wars or wanting to see all the sci-fi aspects, it was like, Oh fun. We're back in the past. And Lorelai's turned into a unicorn. And that's just a crazy idea. And then because she's a unicorn, unicorns can read people's minds. And if you just accept the craziness of it, it's fun storytelling. It's, it's yes. The art is uneven and takes some getting used to here and there, but the idea and the world building is just incredible. And if, especially if I read a lot of the uh, the front and back matter, the idea that this was written and created at a time in France when France was like the gray countryside, you know, there was nothing. It was the end of the um, Charles de Gaulle era and France was gray. There was just nothing going on there. And so this became a, a colorful outlet for people who needed, you know, to expand their minds again and reach for creativity and reach for something outside their horrible lives of baguettes and bad French Bordeaux. So they went to America and stole Sun Ra and Jerry Lewis? Jerry Lewis, I'll have you know, is a French national treasure. (laughs) He's a treasure! The French do love Jerry Lewis. They do love Jerry Lewis. They they they, they think he is a tour de force. Co- yes, comic genius. <laughs> I get what you're saying, J.A. Again, similar to what we talked about in Tintin, where it was like that was a comic book for kids that were growing up basically on the precipice of World War II. And you're like, boy, is this like a really terrible place and maybe we want to a little bit of escapism, go someplace else in the world and have some adventure, you know, and far off Hong Kong or, or, or Cairo or, or, or India or wherever it happens to be. But boy, and I'm not going to, the third one was good. That third one was a solid sci-fi tale. And if the rest of the series is like that, that's a Valerian I can get behind. That's something that I can read going forward. Those first two, the Zomble guy and this time travel garbage, like, I've watched Doctor Who. They did it better. See, I, I think from an American comic book culture, I think we have a hard time respecting the, the comic strip and the style of the comic strip. For whatever reason, we're inherently less likely to take something seriously if it is in that cartoony style, like we automatically associate it with kid stuff. And, but uh, yeah, the first two books, there wasn't a whole lot of depth there, although it did have some unique ideas and it did have really cool landscapes. And I can see where Jay is coming from with the world building, but there are times it just got boring for me. It was I, I a little had... slow. It was sort of like that, that robot hovercraft that approached very, very slowly in the second book. Oh, it's coming. It's two football fields away, uh, but it's going really slow. So we don't need to worry about it yet. <laughs> I, I feel like, I, I think, again, what, why I like the third story, too, is because I felt like the third story, it was a concept that I'd seen in other sci-fi works, you know, going to a, a, an alien culture that's had no experience with, a, with the Earth and, and trying to be clandestine and trying to figure out, will they like Earthlings or not? Uh, finding out there's like a pseudo-scientific religious cult that, you know, everybody worships and they have all the answers. It kind of seemed like uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes with like the almighty bomb and stuff like that. And so I felt like that had a plot that was driving it forward. The first two, especially the first one, like I don't even know what that was. Like it, they were talking about the French countryside. 
there was nothing about the French countryside at all. There were no giant trees in France. What is that? That's just a cartoon. And that's why everything just kind of melded together. And I'm just, when is the Star Wars-y stuff? <laughs> <laughs> no, to go back to the third book, that's also those the, the book that had those passages that were like super trippy where they have the colors that were unknown to Earth and everything's all sparkly. And like there were a couple of different passages where they go into that zone of just the flood of color. And it's it's a really unique perspective. And like I said, there there are lots of ideas in here that I think are neat. But uh, I would rather those ideas be stolen by someone else in a form that's more palatable for me. All right. Well, one thing that's never stolen on this particular program is our ratings. Those are brand new every single week. And we've got those ratings coming up for Valerian right after these messages. So stay tuned. Hello, everyone. My name is Nick. I'm the host of Nikolai's Kitchen, and I'm also the host of the annual live stream for The Cure. Livestream for the Cure is a charity event where we raise money with content creators and podcast partners from around the world for the Cancer Research Institute, a wonderful nonprofit researching cancer immunotherapy, training the body's immune system to fight all forms of cancer. This is a mission and a future that I truly believe in. And myself and my team worked tirelessly over the past five years to raise over $50,000 for this cause. This year, we're aiming for our biggest single goal to date of $20,000, and we cannot do it without your help. Please join us for the event May 19th through the 21st, starting at 9 a.m. Eastern, for 45 hours of content from people all over the world. Together, we can bring hope for a future immune to cancer. The more eyes we reach, the more dollars we raise. Please help us in making this goal a reality. Together, we can make a difference. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our ratings, where I don't know how time travel works, but regardless, you can just fast forward a few seconds if you don't want to listen to me talk. But what you shouldn't fast forward is J.A. giving us our rating scale. So, J.A., uh, what is our rating scale for Valerian? All right, so the rating scale this week is appropriately space-time machines. Oh, and you get the little TARDIS sound effect there awesome because that's my favorite time machine i had that one i mean it looks so nice it's clean does it have room enough for van damme to do a split inside of it (laughs) it is bigger on the inside so you can you can split your legs pretty wide in the tardis any case (laughs) not where i thought that was going okay no i (laughs) anything um, let's go ahead and start off with how many space-time machines is Chad giving Valerian this week? As I've been saying this entire time, this, this brings interesting ideas to the table. But at the same time, it is not for me. It, it just it didn't catch with me. Uh, I don't know if something's lost in translation or if it's the fact that we're looking at work, you know, that appeared in the 70s and it's been 50 years by now. Good golly. So I'm going to give it two out of four time machines. I can see why some people could really get into this and love it. Um, but at the same time, sometimes I was just staring at pages waiting for them to be done. Okay. I'll, I'll go next. Uh, I'm going to give it a little bit of a higher rating. Uh, I'm going to give it, I think, about a 2.5 FaceTime machines. So, like, two TARDISes and maybe that one from that awesome George Pal movie, The Time Machine, which is awesome. I love that movie with the cool handles and the big wheel time anyways i I like that movie more than i liked parts of this book as you can tell (laughs) bad dreams was a bad dream to me it was a nightmare i wish i would have never read that if that's how i'm starting off my valerian it put a a bad taste in my mouth that it, it took me almost the entire rest of the complete collection to get rid of and luckily that last story was so really great or else this would have gotten even a lower rating but I genuinely loved that third story, that thousand planet story. That, again, if that's the rest of Valerian, if that's what I can look forward to, that kind of Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers, going to different planets, mixing it up with alien races, shooting ray guns and sexy ladies running around. That's what I love. That's that's my kind of space opera. That's what I dig. And that had it in spades. The second book was kind of like a weird hodgepodge of those two things, like fantasy elements, yet some hard sci-fi, yet some Jerry Lewis. Mm. It just never convalesced 
into anything good, even though it was supposed to be post-apocalyptic, which I traditionally like. So yeah, 2.5. I never got behind the art. Uh, it has a different style, and, and, and I wish it was something else. But I'm hoping for better things. Maybe I'll read more Valerian to see if it's more like that final story. J.A., how many space-time machines are you giving it? I'm giving it three and a half. I really enjoy wow. it. Wow! I love the stories, even the first one, because the, 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 the crazy elements where Loreline turns into a unicorn, and then because she's a unicorn, she can read people's minds, and then when she's turned out of being a unicorn, then she has to go with Valerian, because she, there's no point in keeping her in the middle ages in france because she knows that there's a future so the time stream has already been changed for her and then in the second story she's shrunk down to a little girl or like a miniature person but because they didn't finish the shrinking process then throughout the story she starts enlarging but her clothing doesn't enlarge (laughs) there's just these great elements and one thing to the art, while the the people tend to be a bit cartoony, the backgrounds, like the uh, the pipes or the the machines, are very intricate. And if you like that kind of almost hyper realistic art, when you're talking about rockets or computers or something. That I thought was really cool. Another thing I really liked is in the second story, they've got this helicopter that can rotate its uh, helicopter blades to turn it into an airplane. It's like an Osprey, right? And this was back in, you know, written in the 70s before any of this kind of stuff really existed. So some of the world building was actually quite prescient, I felt. And yeah, there are these weird elements, which I read is actually not in line with a lot of the Valerian books, like with the Jerry Lewis and the Sun Ra, they didn't actually do that all the time. They just did it for this book that we happened to read. So I think we were reading some of the early books that aren't necessarily indicative of the entire run, but are important in creating the myth of what Valerian became. So that third book you really enjoyed, Andrew, that's Apparently, you know, that's more in line with where Valerian and Loreline went. And the movie is very similar to that third story as well, which I would recommend, too, if you like sort of crazy and sci-fi. I mean, it's not the best movie ever made, but it's quite good. Well, since he recommended the Valerian movie to all of our listeners, it's time to get some more recommendations. As always on The Last Comic Shop, we give you other books that you can check out at your local comic shop in addition to Valerian the Complete Collection, Volume 1. And we're going to go ahead and we're going to give a similar book. We're going to give a current book and a book out of left field. And we're going to go ahead and start off with our current book. And that comes from Chad Smith. So, Chad, what is a current book that people can pick up probably still on comic book stands today? Well, this one, you would have to uh, search for it. It comes out of an upstart publisher, actually AWA, the company that Axel Alonso former EIC of Marvel uh, co-founded, but it is called Not All Robots. It is written by Mark Russell with beautiful photorealistic art from Mike Deodato, and it is the story uh, set in a futurescape where robots basically do everything. Uh, When they go to work, and they they bring home uh, the pay for the families, and they provide for their, their families, and so on and so forth. But the current crop of robots is being replaced with new robots, which leads to an uprising of its own. It's Mark Russell, so it's great satire of, uh, you know, a lot of current social issues that you've got going on. People that feel like they're being replaced with machines and machines that are being replaced with other machines. Like I said, the Dave Dotto art, if you are into uh, when he used to draw Norman Osborn like Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. uh, In this book. He takes uh, Michael Douglas from falling down and makes him the dad in uh, one of the families. Uh, But uh, it's just fun to watch society degrade and to see what happens as a result. And so it's out there. Like I said, it's from AWA. You might be able to find the trade on shelves currently as well. I believe it was five issues in total. It was really fun, really 
really interesting read from Mark Russell. Not all robots. So now we're going to go to our similar book, and that comes from J.A. Scott. So, J.A., what's a similar book that you can recommend to our fans? So I'm going to be recommending a Star Trek book. And, yes, that's right. If you uh, go back and listen to some of our Evergreen shows, we've talked about how I said that Star Trek is a series that never quite made it in comics, I thought. I thought you, you read Star Trek novels. Uh, but uh, as a franchise, um, not so good for the comic books. The comic books were always kind of just trashy and, and, and not so good. I stand corrected. Oh! I have found one that I can recommend. It is the Star Trek Gold Key Archives. So these are collections of the old Gold Key Star Trek books. And bear with me, this is why I enjoy this. So these were made when the show was running. But like Kenner Star Wars toys, they didn't have all the information, the writers and the artists, when they were making these stories. They were just kind of given some scripts and some and some notes from the show while the show was in production. So the comic books don't necessarily reflect anything of the real Star Trek like that you would have seen oh. on television with the exception of the, you know, the names of the characters and some of the uniforms. So like when they beam down the planets, they beam down in backpacks and they're like, they've got spacesuits on. So it's all wacky uh. sci-fi mixed with classic Star Trek stuff, all drawn and written in the n- late 1960s. So you get that, sort of classic golden age silver age science fiction comic book aesthetic as well so it's almost like an, an alternate universe star trek like i don't know where like the where it, they would go. It, it, it's like it's like the jj abrams star trek if it was good wow wow do they still have the disposable red shirt guys of course but they're not in red shirts that's sacrilegious though my goodness you know why they wear red shirts why is that so you can't see them bleed. <laughs> Things are getting dark in the last. I know, time. right? First he's taking swipes at J.J. Abrams. Now he's saying, "Go ahead and kill all the red shirts because you can't see them get murdered. All oh, their entrails." No, but I mean, it, it, it's very much like sort of like uh, if you think of the other gold key titles they had at the time: Twilight Zone, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, Time Tunnel. Very similar vein, because those are the the same artists and writers working on them. Right. That actually reminds me of the Marvel Star Wars book, where they completed that before the first movies were made. And you had Jabba the Hutt that was like the big, weird gangster guy, but not really a hut. Yeah. We're going to have to talk about that a little bit more on next week's show when we cover some Star Wars stuff, for sure. Yes, and, and the big rabbit guy. What yeah, was his name? Jackson. 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 Well, next week, that's it. We're going to do a Star Wars show for May the 4th. It's done. We're, we're doing it, so stay tuned for more Star Wars talk next week. So, yeah, no, it's cool. Because some, some of those Kenner figures are my favorites. Uh Greedo just basically having the head of Greedo and the rest of him is just like he's wearing a green body stocking. Like, what the hell is that? He doesn't even With wear go-go it. boots. <laughs> With knee-high go-go boots. Any case, for my out-of-left-field pick this week recommendation, I don't know if it's so much a recommendation as much as an update for all Last Comic Shop fans. If you might remember, if you don't, go back to the show that we did in late December called Spider-Man. We reviewed the Spider-Man movie, and we did a a book on Spider-Man. During that show, everybody on this show gave out recommendations to other people on the show. And J.A. said that my recommendation for 2022 was to read all of Spider-Man 2099. And I am here on the show saying four months later, I have read a grand total of 12 issues and an annual of the Spider-Man 2099 series that was released in the early 90s, written by Peter David with mostly art by Rick Leonardi. There's some other fill-in guys on a couple issues here and there, but primarily they are the uh, creative forces behind this project. And I've got to say... It's a mixed bag. I'm going to say it's not shocking good. It's not shocking. You know, that's (laughs) that's the like the the term they like to use in this. But I will say that for folks that are interested, they are going to be releasing an omnibus of all of Spider-Man 2099 in October. 
So around about the time that they're coming out with the new Spider-Man animated movie, the next in the uh, Into the Spider-Verse franchise, about that same time, they're going to come out with this omnibus. So if you've never read Spider-Man 99, you don't have to go and track down the individual issues like I did. You can wait for this omnibus and you pick it up. But I will say, if you pick up the omnibus and you're reading it, those first 12 issues, they're just... They're filling things out. You got Miguel O'Hara who gets these powers from Alchemax because he's playing around with Spider-Man DNA and somebody messes something up to sabotage his work. He's He's got bloodlust in him. Like he, he's fighting bad guys. And one of them, he like cuts his throat accidentally with his talons. That's I think is the most interesting part. He's like he, he, he climbs walls because he grows talons on his fingers, which I, I, I don't know if spider, spiders really do that, but... It looks cool. And I will say that, if nothing else, Spider-Man 2099 has one of the badass Spider-Man costumes ever. Oh, like, yeah. For nothing else, you should be reading this series just because Rick Leonardi is a great artist and he gets to draw awesome Spider-Man. I, I, I really have a hard time thinking which one's my favorite alternate Spider-Man costume, whether it's 2099 or whether it's the Scarlet Spider with just the hoodie. Because that oh. one was awesome, too. I love the I love the cutoff hoodie. That's the best. The original Scarlet Spider. That's a great costume. That also came out of the '90s. But yeah, they give you like Vulture '99, which is kind of lame. They give you another Thorites. You get the Thorites. Yeah, Thorites were neat. I think that's the most interesting concept throughout this entire first twelve issues is the fact that like you have this religious cult that's waiting for the second coming of Thor. You didn't like Cannibal Vulture? I thought that was, like, at 11 years old, that was so freaky. Yeah, he had this weird mustache, and, like, I don't know. It's weird, though, right? We live in 2022, and there are no floating cities. We're not even close to the technology, other than maybe one of my favorite characters, which is his AI. Elijah or Lila or whatever. Yeah, he, he pretty much do what MJ was doing in the 90s, just, just waiting at home, looking all seductive. <laughs> what you get in this but at the same time that's the only thing that i could say yeah maybe in another 60 years we'll have that because that's a technology that you know we're knocking on the door of that kind of stuff we're halfway there with our alexas right need the hologram form but but like floating cars and stuff yeah anyways 2099 it's a mixed bag since you're updating do you want to update the folks on the rom collection oh yes which i I did over the last week find three more issues to add oh yes another callback on that show is we were uh, chad and i have been collecting all the 75 issues of the rom the space knight series from marvel plus the four annuals so 79 issues in total and we're more than two-thirds done i think the ones that we have I don't know if we're going to be able to find in buck bins because there's like issue one is obviously very, uh, very expensive, but also issue 75. We're finding that as, as kind of like a ridiculously priced comic for some bizarre, maybe because it's the end. I don't know, but we're, we're still trucking along. And so continue to keep an eye on us on our last comic shop Twitter page. I'll be posting more videos. I've already done one where I went through all the issues and people seem to like that. But, uh, yeah, you can continue to follow us by going out to our website, www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's a terrific place where we've got all of the links to everything. If you want to find us on a particular podcasting platform, go out to our website. You'll find a link there. If you want to find a link to uh, our YouTube channel, go out to that. We've got great videos with uh, independent uh, comic book creators as well as unboxings of comic books and action figures. So, yeah, lots of great stuff out on our website, www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. In addition to the website, you can find us on the socials. We are at Last Comic Shop, where on Twitter and Instagram you could see things like daily comic book factoids or classic golden age covers to tuck you into bed at night or weekly polls or what we're picking up at the comic shops that week all of that is available on social media and if you need to find those places once again head to our website where they can also find what else well if you're on the website might as well click through to our merch store we've got shirts we've got tote bags you can get uh, a coffee mug for your comic loving uh, friend or compatriot and this week only, if you need a turn of the 12th century French smock, you can find it. A smock? I think you're thinking more too much of that Star Trek. <laughs>
Because that was one of the characters, right? There's Kirk and Smock and McCoy. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I. And with jokes like that, I understand why we're the last comic shop <laughs> podcast. But we don't want to actually be uh, the last comic shop folks out there. So find a local shop near you. You can use the comic shop locator at www.comicshoplocator.com where you might find a place that will sell you things like Valerian or things like the Gold Key Star Trek archives. Or maybe they have a more recent uh, copy of Not All Robots by Mark Russell and Mike Deodato. Or maybe you want to go with that classic Spidey 2099. Or maybe you're digging in the dollar bins for those ROM issues. If you find the ones we need, let us know. That's what I was just about to say. We need to put up a... We need, if we can find it on our website, we should have like a cross-off. Well, you've got the no, wrong... then the then everybody will get those issues and keep them from us. I don't trust them. Uh, that's right, the scalpers. It's a real They'll be like, I'm gonna make money off this. Buy comic books to read them. You're not making money off these things. At least not from us, because we're very cheap. Pinching our pennies. We got podcast dues to pay. Let's keep right, bringing there's... you this show that we hope that you come back for next week because again we're going to be talking about Star Wars it'll be May the 3rd and we're going to have a comic book all about Star Wars for you it's part of the Jason Aaron run that was released in 2015 so like that. we're not going to read the Star Wars again no the force of wills be with you not with us no more uh, <laughs> and also make sure that you go see Doctor Strange it'll be coming out next week because we'll have a movie for you for that in the upcoming weeks until then, I was the host with the most, Andy Larson. I was joined by Jay Scott and Chad Smith. And we hope that you stay safe, stay cool. And if you've got Jerry Lewis designing your strategic air defense program, I'd probably move to another country. <laughs> it doesn't seem like a wise idea to put him in charge of nuclear weapons. No wonder they lost like two centuries. Anybody, Professor, what else does he do? Do it for the kids, Jerry! Comic Shop was a 2022 Black Angus production.